You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Today's podcast was recorded on October 12, 2019 at the Day and OA Conference held in San Mateo, California. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Um, so I, I'm Michael. I am a compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk about grief uh, primarily for me um, and just my experience um, with uh, uh, early on. Um, I always remember my first kind of memory of grieving. Well, this is grieving my my grandfather who died uh, when I was seven. Um, I remember in my family, not a lot of grieving. Not it wasn't normal for people to show that. Uh, my parents, um, but I do remember this this one memory of my grandfather passing away as my mom's dad and just her crying during the funeral. I have, for me, I have a delayed reaction to grieving. I just, it just, I see it, it's a sad moment, but um, maybe it's, I don't know what it is, maybe it's part of just a feeling of um, not wanting to be vulnerable uh, in front of other people, or not wanting to show that vulnerability and and grieving. um, and so I remember coming back from the funeral and everything of my grandfather, for my grandfather, and then coming back home and going to sleep and in my own bed, and then I just started crying. And um, there, and then my mom came in and, and comforted me. Um, and so just because I, I missed that presence, I missed that, my grandfather, who um, just remember being, he had this big scratchy beard, and he would, you know, you'd crawl on him, and uh, he's this big, big, uh, larger than life guy, um, and um, so I miss that, and um, I know, and then from that, from um, from that kind of memory, I I didn't exactly know how to express myself really um, talking about in just in relationships it was always about the other person so I never brought up what what I was going what I was going through really I never really felt like I had space for that growing up and so I learned to stuff it with food um, which is I've heard from many stories of people share in in, uh, in meetings about that just that that um, process of um, I feel bad I need to feel better thank you and so I'm going to eat and eat and eat until I feel something else 
because um, I don't want to feel that feeling. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to feel like for me, I don't want to feel weak and vulnerable in front of other people. Um, and and so for me, with with the food, it's I, I'm isolated. Um, I nobody can see me. Uh, I'm eating, and so on the outside, I'm happy. I'm I'm peaceful, or at least I thought I looked like it. And um, and so that was my usual thing with food, with grief. And so um, there was a uh, a spiritual awakening that happened for me. Um, I started to get abstinent in this program, and that kind of kick-started my emotional, um, I know the, in AA they talk about the emotional uh, sobriety, and um, I've heard that many times. People talk about it, talk about it, you know, I kind of take in the information, I don't really know how to process it because it's like this weird kind of emotional sobriety, and I'm just trying to not eat flour and sugar kind of stuff, the junk food, or whatever. I'm just trying not to overeat. And so in getting abstinent from that and not eating that for a while, um, I was able, I, I went to lots, lots of meetings, heard people talk. Um, in one meeting um, in San Jose, there's a member, Karen V. Um, she shared her story about travel, actually, and being independent in program and being able to take her food uh, with her and being able to travel the world. And um, and I really wanted that for myself. And I saw the freedom in that. And I saw the freedom in program that you can have because you're no longer tied to, uh, for me, we had a similar story of just like, um, we were always the one to kind of control what was happening in the family or like make everyone happy. Um, and we were really attached to our families in that way. And for her, when she, when she got abstinent in program, she was just like, what, I can travel? She went to go teach English uh, in another country and then came back. And she was more healthier as a person emotionally because of program. Um, because she had, she no longer was stuffing her feelings. She was paying attention to them. She was sharing them with with people, and she wasn't apologetic about them. She wasn't um, scared of that, um, which, for me, it's still a process. So from he one time, I it was just a regular. I was at a meeting on Thursday, Thursday night after the meeting. I um, she was a speaker, so she spoke about her story and travel and all that. And I started to drive home, and then I started to cry. And I started to cry and cry, and then I just had to stop because I can't see because my, you know. And um, something really struck me with her story. I've heard it before, but for, um, I had the spiritual awakening in the car going back home, and I couldn't do anything. I was just all this emotion, feeling sad, and then and then I didn't know this, but c with sadness comes anger sometimes because after I I was grieving so. I I knew at that point that I was grieving over just the loss of just the 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 I didn't have the I was grieving over my family situation. I realized that um, my parents they did what the best they could do um, for me and my brothers, but. Um, Emotionally, I was really stunted. Um, I thought that I was really healthy in the terms, in the way that I 
um, had my relationships with my family members. Um, but I realized um, that I was actually, later on and, and through the crying and stuff, I realized that I was actually emotionally attached to my mom. Um, so I, I looked up the word, uh, enmeshment. Uh, it describes, so with my mother, it describes families where personal boundaries are diffused, subsystems undifferentiated, and over-concern for others leads to a loss of autonomous development. So for me, I grew up with my mom. We always went to the grocery store with each other. Um, she told me how she felt. I was kind of this, my dad was always working and I, later on realized that he had a very demanding boss, wanting always to just be there, you know, working extra hours, all this stuff. I didn't know this as a kid, I, you know. Um, I just thought, oh, he's working. And, but actually, um, I come to find out that I was always wanting to care for my mom. And as a child, I didn't need to be doing that. Um, I needed to actually have relationships with other peers. And I didn't really, that just wasn't, just didn't happen that way. And so I, I realized this. So bringing it back to the car, I just realized sadness, how I lost part of my childhood in that way. I didn't really have great, like best friends. You know, I thought, oh, I, didn't, I don't have best friends. That's kind of weird. But now I kind of know that that's kind of ha what happened in that way. And so grieving over that, and then really being angry that that happened. Really being angry that I, um, felt like I needed to take care of my mother, um, being angry at my parents for allowing that to happen. These are the feelings, they're messy, they're not pretty. They, they're also not, I mean, they're feelings, they're connected to feelings, which is messy, which is not all true. I mean, like I said, the, my parents are human beings. They're not perfect, so you know, there's that also. It's messy. So, um, in grieving, I'm so thankful for a program because I learned here to ask for help to make a phone call. Um, and it, I was such a, in a such vulnerable place and I needed someone that I really looked up to um, that I had years of, of relationship with. So I called up my pastor who helped me to get into these rooms and get me um, to refer me to 12-step um, he's a big part of that, so I felt like I could trust him with what was going on. And he also was very vulnerable with his story and his recovery. Looked differently than mine, but very much, there's always a relational aspect to it. And so I called him up, and it was totally my higher power directing it, because he, it was like after the meeting, you know, it was late, but he's a, he's a night owl, so he's like, oh yeah, come on in, let's talk about this. And so with the grieving, it, of course it's messy, and so for the next two hours meeting with him, all I did was talk about my life, losing this kind of innocence um, growing up of like being autonomous as a kid and like having fun, and like I was always worried and anxious about my family and what was, you know, how they were feeling and my mom. And so I talked about all this and of course, like it was messy, anger, expletives, you know, F all the people and, and I, you know, I didn't stop at just family. I went to like politics and I started to, you know, 
tangent off to, you know, like, thank you. And so, <laughs> and my, my pastor was just like, he, he was listening because he knew what was happening. He knew that um, with abstinence, with sobriety, then you get left with these emotions and these raw emotions. And what do you, you know, what am I going to do with them? And so it's, it's in, for me, I learned, re this was recently, this was like last year. Um, so I'm still going through it. Um, and, um, but I know, I know, I'll conclude with this, um, that I know that uh, really if I wasn't abstinent, I wouldn't be able to deal with this. I wouldn't be able to grow as a person in this way emotionally. Um, you know, if I wasn't in program, I would just be eating and being like a robot, really. And um, that doesn't work. It does, you know, I, uh, I'm so grateful that I'm able to go through this. And um, uh, so, yeah, that's it. Thank you. So my name is Suzanne, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm going to give you my stats. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with my background, just because I've been here for a long time. And I would rather spend the time on grief and on illness. And I'm going to specifically talk about death in the area of grief. I recognize that there are lots of different types of things that we can be grieving, but I'm going to just focus in on one thing. So I've been here for 37 years, and I have been consec consecutively going to OA for that amount of time. I've got at least a 65-pound weight loss. I've always had a sponsor, and I do have a food sponsor. So I have walked through a number of deaths in my OA experience. And I, you, we don't know when we're going to be shocked by a death. And there are a couple of things that I just really, really want to suggest um, that you really kind of take into prayer and meditation. Because to have a sponsor when you get a phone call or when something happens, to be able to call somebody immediately, to be able to have a network of people that you're really tied in close to has been the saving grace for me. The first major death that I went through in the program was when my dad died. And I got a phone call I put the, you know, I hung up the phone, and the next thing that I did was I immediately made a call. I didn't even think about going to food. I immediately made a phone call. And the fact that I had no qualms about reaching out to someone else was, um, and, and that it was just so automatic showed me that my higher power was already with me. And I know that a lot of people have a lot of difficulty using, um, using the phone. And 
I just kind of want to just really encourage you that if you can start using the phone when you're not in a crisis situation, you are going to have just an easier time. At least for me, it was a much easier time for me. I do have, I just kind of wrote out some notes. So let me just see what else, because there's some things that I really, really wanted to um, kind of hit on. The other thing on why it's so important to have a group of people with you. And I think it's also for me, I had already gone through the steps, but one of the things that really got me into getting abstinent was I came into OA, I was on the ground. I was in so much pain. I was clinically depressed. And I, my life was a mess. And what I noticed was that I couldn't control my life. And when I was stuffing my face, it didn't help. It's like, it just, it's like I was hurting myself on top of having this unmanageable life. And I forgot my, the point that I wanted to make, but that, um, wait a minute, I, I'm just gonna look at my notes. And this is what it is. Um, so that's what got me into working the steps. And because it's like I knew that I didn't want to start into going into food. And that the steps were going, it's like I couldn't wait to work the steps because I was in so much pain. And so, and my point is that if you're putting off working your steps, it's going to be, there's going to be more to deal with. It, it may be trickier for you to go through death abstinently. That's just what I'm, I'm, what my point is. It, you know, I was lucky because I, 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 I was, I came in at such a place of surrender that it, that I was, I was internally pushed. So I already had gone through the steps and walking through the steps um, and having, having, um, having a strong program behind me has helped me deal with not only like my parents' deaths, but uh, suicide in a family member, which also was not an easy thing to walk through. And what I learned from that too, and was that being humble, the spiritual principle of humility comes into play too. Because you don't know what your feelings are gonna be like. There's all sorts of different feelings that we go through when we're walking through death. We may feel fine at one moment, and then five minutes later, you're in tears. And if I am not able to be humble, and why I need that support system around me again is that I need to be able to ask people for help, especially if 
I'm the one who has to deal with do it, putting together a funeral. I'm the one who has to go get a cemetery plot or deal with cremation or whatever. If somebody hasn't taken care of that ahead of time, it's going to be laden on me to do that. And those are, that's, those are a lot of things to have to do when I'm in a state of difficulty. The other thing too, having a food plan, just doing, having something that's going on with your food is I think for me was really helpful because it took me away from a few moments, a few minutes of being in my grief. Having to, um, you know, contact someone, tell them what I'm, I'm doing, um, asking for help. Um, it, that, those were pieces that were really, really um, helpful for me. The other thing, um, too, there was one more thing um, that I, I knew with, um, uh, it'll come back to me, because I know that having a food plan, sleep. It's critical to be able to get sleep, and if you can't sleep, what I did was I was also, I'm also a member of Al-Anon six months into OA. I was told if I have problems with any kind of relationships, um, go to Al-Anon, so I did. And, and I've been here for a long time, so it was prior to when OA had um, email stuff going on, and, but Al-Anon did. And I got into a group, it was a, the topic was spirituality at three o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep, I was um, on the computer writing what was going on with me and that was a lifesaver. To be able to reach out 24 seven, we have cell phones now, we have all sorts of ways to call people People in Hawaii are a number of hours uh, behind us. Um, people in Europe are eight hours. You know, so it's like there's so many people to support us, and especially with death. Um, so I'm going to stop there with death, and I'm going to kind of roll right into illness. So. I've dealt with my own illnesses, primarily autoimmune system diseases, and I'm going to start off with somebody close with me, had cancer, and I, um, because I have a close network of people that I am involved with with the program, I chose not to publicly in meetings talk about cancer because I was so flipped out and so scared about the possibilities that someone very close to me was go was going to die. And that absolutely freaked me out. And it freaked me out to the point where I ended up having a somatic reaction to it. And I had already had a lot of immune system issues. And it drove me into having an episode of lupus in which I was paralyzed, physically paralyzed. And what helped me was that I had a, I had a spiritual experience at that point 
when I was paralyzed. And I knew that I had a telephone and I would be fine. That I could always go to telephone meetings, whoops. I could always go to telephone meetings and I could um, always go, I could always sponsor on the phone, I could um, call people. I knew that I would be fine. So I had a spiritual experience with that. I also wanna say that every um, death that I've had, I've also had a spiritual experience with that. That's why it's so critical to work the steps and not to put the steps off because you wanna have, you wanna be close to a higher power when you go through these really hard situations. Um, another, and I'm, I'm just gonna go over maybe a couple of minutes, but the other thing with um, illness is where you have to watch for and why for me it's been critical to have a sponsor, work with my sponsor and work with my doctor is because some medications do have sugar in them. And you do not want to be um, in a situation by yourself making those kinds of decisions. At least I didn't, I've never wanted to be there. And I have been able to, to do things that on my own, without a higher power, without um, support, I'm not exactly sure I would have ever been able to do so. The other thing that I just really quickly wanna do is so, my autoimmune system diseases have included mono as an adult and um, walking pneumonia. And I was by myself. The other thing, the big, big thing with illness, for me at least, has been by myself, feeling lonely. The only time that I ever thought that I wanted to go back and eat sugar was when I had, um, when I had, um, walking pneumonia, which was after I had mono. And so I'd already walked through, you know, weeks and weeks of not going to work and weeks and weeks of being by myself. But what I, but, but it was when I had walking pneumonia that I had the first time of thinking that I was gonna go into clinical depression again, I was gonna go into whatever. And I had been abstinent for a long time at these, at this point, I think it was like maybe 25 years or something. And so it taught me two things. One it taught me is that I don't care how long, for me, how long I've been abstinent, I don't know what tomorrow's bringing. And that is why working closely with the program is critically important for me at least. The other thing too that I just wanna say is that telephone meetings saved me. And even if you hate the phone, you may just want to get on and or get onto your computer. You wanna find something other than face-to-face -face because you're, you're not gonna always have 20 million friends coming to visit you. You know, they are working, they're doing other things. And for me, isolation is what really brought me in here. So with that, I'll stop, but thank you very much. Thank you. Do we have some questions about grief or illness and program? Thank you so much, both of you. It was wonderful. Um, I know when my mom was passing, it wasn't a slow. It was about three months of crisis, 
slump, more disappointment, slump, you know, just really rough. But I remember one time driving down the 101 and leaving a message for my sponsor saying, you don't even need to pick up the phone, right? Like, don't even pick up. I'm just going to like, blah, 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 blah. Um, when you get to that place, you're like, I can't even stand to hear myself talk about it anymore. Is there any suggestions you have or any tools in particular that help get through that? Like, why is this happening to me? Right, like why, why me or the pile on? Right, right. Really, after this, now I've got this. So anything you have to suggest on that, but especially the like, I can't even stand to talk about it anymore. So one of the thing that, things that OA teaches us, especially um, if you, it, it teaches us to be patient. Um, when I'm not going to eat something, I have to. There's some level of. Um, patients, especially if, if I'm in early recovery. And I have to look at going through my day and looking for my higher power during my day. And that's why for me it has it's so important to be able to have a relationship with a higher power. And how do we do that? We do that by going through, finding an effective step process that works for us so that we can begin, if not um, already, be able to tap in to immediately. That's my goal. My goal is to be able to tap in as quickly as possible to my higher power so that when I have one thing after another, I can do a couple of things. I can look for those gratitudes. We're breathing. Um, it's a beautiful day. Um, just those really, really simple things because life does happen like that sometimes. It, we, are, we have times when it is um, this, this, you know, everything's on fire. And that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find that place inside me or how it, whatever way you do it, but that's what I'm looking for, is I'm looking for that internal piece that I can take. I, I'm looking for the fourth dimension in the third dimension. And that's why I'm still here after 37 years. Uh, I'm just wondering, in the past one and a half year, uh, I lost my uncle who, um, when I came to the United States, um, he took care of me with his family for uh, three years, and then he passed away. And then, uh, following that, my aunt, who passed away like eight months after that, uh, she was like a grandma uh, for me. And then my brother-in-law in March committed suicide and there was different feeling I had because uh, there was no relationship between my uh, family. Actually, that was my husband's brother and he had, uh, he had depression and they, they had so much problem together. So um, I didn't have any feeling when I lost my brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, I was 
different mixed feeling maybe i was happy because he was suffering for many years from the you know clinical dep depression and he he went through so much and then um however i was so sorry for him he couldn't even keep he married he um he had divorce and uh, he engaged, he broke up and he went through so much. And so I had so much uh, different feeling and sometimes I felt guilty. I didn't feel the grieving for him and I didn't know what to do. But thank God I didn't eat over it. But sometimes all of this feeling comes to me. Uh, God, give me a break and let me feel, go through each, uh, you know, grieving and then bring the other death. And then uh, I say, no, that's just part of life. And I just remember the serenity prayer. So my question is, how do you deal with all of this feeling? I mean, uh, can you give me some tips? So my experience with grief or with people dying. With people dying, I have not always had feelings of grief. Sometimes I've had feelings that it's been a re it's a relief because they have been suffering. And if you love somebody, you don't always want them to suffer. So there's no one feeling and that's why when we look at the uh some of the literature, some of the professional things, um, you know, there's a lot of different feelings that people are going to have. So that's one thing that I would say on that. And I'm trying to think of, oh, and ha so how do you deal with all the feelings? So there's nothing wrong with getting additional professional help. Um, that's something that I've done. I've taken, um, when we had a very uh, close um, uh, relative, um, I took my family and we went, uh, uh, there, there was a grief weekend. And so we went to this grief weekend. And there are, we're in um, San Mateo County right now. There are free grief re uh, resources. I also want to just say too that what I meant to talk about too with grief was I have had, I've grieved five dogs and pets are really something that people are deeply um, attached to. And there is in San Mateo County, at least, there's free grief therapy for pets at the, the Humane Society. So there are a lot. There are a lot of. Um, there are a lot of um, support systems out there, and that's why another reason why you want to be on the phone talking to people, because people will give you um, information. Um, with the cancer situation, I actually was on telephone meetings and gave, um, it was a woman in Canada who called me and gave me and said, whoops, I don't know what happened there. You want to look at something 
some special things that, that are new going on right now. And she said that it was happening at New York University. I called Stanford. Stanford was doing it too. So you, you, that's why you really want to be reaching out to others at risk. And I know it's hard to call other people, especially when we've been isolators. But that, for me, is really important. And it's a way also to be sharing all those different emotions that you're having when you're going through whatever you're going through with a death. Do you or do you have to grieve a perpetrator? And if you have, how have you done that? Okay. So with the perpetrator, I think there's two things. One is that you want to you want to be sure again that you have a sponsor because a sponsor is going to help you especially going through the 12 steps we have the fourth step we want to really clearly do a do a fourth step we also need to look at so we want to be we want to be going through and and doing an effective fourth step and we want to actually finish up the rest of the steps. It's important not to just go to step five and not continue on. So that's another reason why I think. The other thing too is going, is, is getting professional help. Because the situation is going to be different once again for each individual in the sense of the what what's am I do I have a loop in my head in terms of the perpetrator if I have a loop in my head and I'm continually going around in circles with the perpetrator that's a character defect and I I want that character defect I want to be free I don't want to always be thinking of this perpetrator I want to go out and live my life so that's why I think it's critical to be working this, have it go through the steps, work with a sponsor, and get professional help. Thanks for speaking, both of you, again. Um, you know, um, so, you know, I, I'm dealing with, I have been for a while, losing um, family members that are still alive. And it's been really painful. And so, you know, that, pain like I found myself well it, it costed me 89 pounds excess weight trying to, to pad myself from the pain only to find out the pain was inside of me <laughs> it wasn't out so anyway so um, I recommitted my abstinence and I'm I'm really wanting to get through this um, a different way do you do you either of you um, have suggestions um i know you know higher power i know sponsorship step work um reaching out do you have any suggestions um of way you know just um healthy ways that you deal when um when the low the lows hit you know um in this you know this thing with the the food and the overeating and my food addiction and um, 
the way I describe it is like it it feels like at the time it's the safest thing to do because when people pass away um, like my grandmother I can't talk to her at this time but when I lose people that are still walking the planet it feels like food is kind of like something to sedate me you know to not you know approach them so yeah just any suggestions so you're talking about like a, a rift between you and a family member or just like yeah you know well we talk I know we talked about steps and being able to to process through do that inventory of like what is happening how am I feeling with this with this person and um, is there a what's my resentment or what's my fear what um, uh, or what exactly am I grieving over um, with them? Um, that for me, writing that out and talking to my sponsor about it has been super helpful, especially when we'll we be talking about always thinking about that person and going around and around and around. If I say this, will he say this? And then I'll just prove them wrong and, you know, kind of rehearse in my head because um, I've done that before. Um, but being able to to have an outlet of that, either whether it be writing or like talking to a sponsor and calling them, sharing that inventory, um, that super helpful. I see it black and white. I see how big it is or how usually for me it's big in my head. It's actually smaller. The, the issue is actually smaller than I thought. Or um, And then also for me, I, I for sure am... Um, I don't want to deal with that person, you know, ever, usually. They cause conflict. I don't see a way around it. And yeah, avoiding with food, so easy to do. Um, in program, I'm able to, I was able to make, a, uh, make amends for things that I've done to people. If they're too toxic for me to talk to them, I can make a living amends by, usually it involves staying in recovery for myself so that when they come to me or when it's time, I can talk to them or repair that relationship. But a lot of the time, as we're talking about patience, it's like, okay, I have to give that up. <laughs> I have to give up the expectation to fix that person and or like have them come to me and we can have this great you know I don't know um, Al-Anon was mentioned um, dealing with that with that person you know what they did to me and or what I you know what whatever happened to be able to process that that's that was also a good suggestion so yep.